Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a three-game losing streak for your Philadelphia 76ers, but also to the Talking About podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kendi. And Sean, um, I mean, off the top of your head, where does this tonight's Sixers-Bucks game rank in terms of, like, most boring Sixers games of the season? It's pretty close to the bottom. It. The schedule makers did the Sixers no favors, having the Bucks be very well rested and the Sixers being traveling on the back half of back-to-back. So, yeah, they came out really flat. The Bucks were hitting everything. The Sixers were not rotating defensively well at all. It was just a recipe they, for disaster. They helped one pass away from Chris Middleton, of all people, so many times. Where I'm like, literally, you could pick anyone else on the court. I would at least like find some reason why you could help off of him. Chris Middleton is the one guy like capital S shooter. Do not leave him. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, The third quarter where Bobby Portis had three straight corner threes and they just kept leaving him open. That was also a real head scratcher. Uh, Just yeah. Dumb play on the defensive end all night. It was uh not what you want to see. So hopefully th- we can just talk that up to uh, some tired legs and just not being mentally in it because they just played and they just traveled and everything. And hopefully we see a much better effort Saturday night. Yeah. You mentioned like the disparity in the rest. I just saw this like on the NBA score ticker, the Suns also who the Sixers lost to the night before they played the Celtics tonight. They lost 99 to 86, like hardly any, very low scoring. So it was pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear that the Sixers and Suns both had a little bit of like the wind taken out of their sails from that game last night, which, I mean, you talk about Sixers, Bucks was boring. Sixers, Suns was a great game. Like, I mean, it sucks that the Sixers lost and that, ugh, if that Embiid shot had fallen, like, I don't know what I would have done with myself, but that was a fantastic game the night before. Yeah, it sure was. Um, if <laughs> that Joel shot. It, it doesn't make any sense that you like zero point eight left, and like you're looking at it. They're down three. First of all, it's Chris Paul of all people shooting the free throw. He misses it short. And the so many times you see guys gather and they don't even like get it off in time. It speaks to how smart Joel is too that he knew zero point eight. This literally has to be. I'm like turning as it's in the air to rebound, then just flinging that thing. Like that's my only chance. I, it was incredible. He, like you said, he just caught it, and he, it wasn't like he got time to really get his legs under him and launch it like guys usually do when they attempt those three-quarter court heaves. He just had to, like, kind of catch it and, like, shot put it almost. Uh, or, or, like, when you see a quarterback who has his, his legs wrapped up 
by mm -hmm. a defender and he, he tries to get rid of it and he just has to use all his arm strength to get get the ball off that's kind of like what it looked like with joel's shot um and oh, it just uh <laughs> the uh derek bodner took the screenshot of when the ball yeah. like looks halfway down through the cylinder and <laughs> it's just incredible how close that was it it literally would have been the most amazing shot of my lifetime if that had gone in it, it was still pretty high up there <laughs> having rattled out uh and 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 as you said it, the game as a whole was really exciting the both teams i thought played very well uh chris paul played like you know one of the best players of all time you know obviously later in his career but he was just getting to his spots and and hitting nearly everything um the sixers played tremendous defense on Devin Booker for most of the game uh all credit to Matisse the Bible for that uh but then you know Booker's he's an all-star so he finally was able to break loose with some huge shots huge tough shots like tough contested shots yeah, that last shot was ridiculous yep uh yeah the the baseline uh mm -hmm. along the right side there with uh the shot clock winding down that was it, that was like the definition of a dagger um yeah just you know, two teams that are both playing really well. Uh, the Sixers obviously were missing three of their starters in that one. So if you're a Sixers fan, you can take some solace that they were neck and neck with uh, one of the best teams in the league. And yeah, sure, they were at home, but they only had 40% of their starting lineup out there. So yeah, uh, that was a, a really good game. And you came away from that, you know, not really disappointed at all. And then it was kind of the flip side of that after this Bucks loss where you were just incredibly disappointed and it was not really an entertaining game. Yeah. Like I was going to say with the shot, um, Joel Embiid was Patrick Mahomes and the rim was one of the <laughs> chiefs receiver, but on the one pass where he was basically yeah. like head parallel to the ground, he flipped it and like, yeah, he, he, just like straight through his hands. It's like, come on. Yeah. You gotta... yeah. The one where he was, he threw it sidearm while he was parallel to the ground, like the matrix. Yeah. And uh, he and he launched it like 30 yards through multiple defenders, and the guy had it bounce yeah. off. And unfortunately, that probably makes <laughs> the other four Sixers in that game the Chiefs' offensive line, which got wrecked. But <laughs> whatever. Um, no, yeah, like it was obviously an incredible shot, and Joel playing so well, especially down the stretch of all those threes in the Suns game, was great. But I think it did mask in a way like. It wasn't a bad loss by any sense because it was entertaining. They did fight hard. The Suns made tough shots. It still felt winnable because you just felt like they had played well enough, and then they just kind of let it slip away at the end. They had those that like they've now had the streak where Steph Curry goes off for all his threes against the Sixers. Then Javon Carter hits three straight corner threes from the same corner in the fourth quarter against the Sixers. Then Bobby Portis hits all those threes against the Sixers in the third quarter. Like a stretch of just like getting obliterated by another player on the team from three. Obviously, Steph Curry will do that to a lot of teams, but, like, you, you hate to see when it's Javon Carter or Bobby Portis letting those guys get open, especially, like, you can tell when they get in a rhythm when that's, like, that's their job on the course to go out and shoot threes. And if you keep letting them get wide open looks from the same spot, they are NBA players that are the best players in the world and get paid to do that one thing. They will probably be good at this. Yeah, hopefully it's more of a – the Sixers kind of integrating some new guys and the injuries. So there's some rotational units that haven't had a lot of time together and just, you know, defense is so much about communication and knowing 
hey, knowing your teammates' strengths and weaknesses, and and hey, this is a guy that he will be able to switch on to. This is a guy he shouldn't, and I should fight over it. And you know, just talking out there. And you got George Hill, who they have only played a few games with, and he was only in the practice facility with them for a few weeks. You got Anthony Tolliver who just joined the team seeing some time and, you know, all the, the new alignments uh, given the starting lineup has suffered some injuries recently and they've been shuffling guys in and out of there. So hopefully that's more of it. And uh, that kind of stuff can get tightened up um, because yeah, as you mentioned, they're just making some kind of inexcusable errors on the defensive end these, this last week. And it's, it's not what we've become accustomed to seeing because they've been one of the top defensive teams all season long. And so it's kind of a little, it's a little puzzling that they've been so poor on that end. One thing I thought while watching the Bucks game tonight is just on both ends of the floor, you really miss Ben Simmons presence where just, there's a lack of speed out there without Ben, because that's kind of like what defines the Sixers on, um, like when it's not going through Joel Embiid. I mean, obviously Joel Embiid is like the alpha, beta, omega of everything the Sixers do, but just it feels like so like slow and gregarious trying to get into everything on offense. Whereas at least if Ben Simmons cuts down the lane, he scares teams because he's big and fast. If he tries to dribble at someone, he will draw attention because he's big and fast. And then on defense, like I mean, it's just. Like, we already see what Matisse Thibel does all the time, especially in that great defensive performance against Devin Booker. And then you can basically throw a second guy out there who does the same things, and Ben Simmons just freaking teams out with how fast and large he is. And I, I definitely think that's something they're missing right now, just something to jolt them. Although it's also – he obviously can't do it as effectively because he's eight inches shorter about. But Tyrese Maxey is – that's one of the positives is that over these last few games he's been playing really well just – again, showing off the speed, the handle, a little bit of more of a willingness to pull up, and that if you can move like he does with the ball in his hands, it you can be really hard to stop at times. So I've really liked – I mean, we've always liked Tyrese Maxey, but, like, this is starting to look like we really might have a guy who can contribute right now. Yeah, he's he's been great lately. Um, I, I still don't think we're going to see him as part of the playoff rotation, especially because George Hill has arrived, and George Hill has looked re- – really good these last well yeah. not so much against Milwaukee but against Phoenix he he particularly looked really good so I think Hill's kind of locked into th- that bench guard slash wing spot um that was kind of the only open question mark for the playoff rotation um but yeah Max he's been really good it's he's been a real live wire on offense and the Sixers don't have that guy who's just quicker than his man and can just beat him off the dribble consistently uh the guys that do kind of create for themselves it's either shake like doing shake some weird hesitation stuff or tobias just shake is the mini middleton where it's the he's not as good obviously but it's very slow it's very much based on off pace trickeration long limbs stuff like that yep exactly and then you got tobias who can do it kind of just by like using his strength and leveraging catching a guy off balance just enough to, to work to his spots. Um, but yeah, just seeing Tyrese just get a step on a guy and, Oh, he's gone. He's, he's ahead of him now and he's going to lay the ball up under the defender at the rim. Uh, it's a, it's a refreshing change and it's an added dynamic that no one else really brings. 
Um, and they, and he's he's also looked good defensively. He's made some, you know, dynamic plays on that end. Uh, it's it's great. I, I think this is what you would hope to see in a rookie as his first season kind of is winding down. He's kind of figuring some stuff out um, through that that rookie wall, which we saw during the midpoint of the season. Uh, it, it's all great to see, and it's it's why we you know always maintain the faith in in Maxi, and we just uh, kind of figured it might might just take till next year to to see these these flashes. But we're seeing them now. He got the chance with due to some injuries, and uh, he's taking advantage of it. So that's uh, it's encouraging. If if maybe not for this year, but it's it just continues to bolster our hopes for going forward of him being a a great NBA player down the road. You mentioned George Hill and how he's been playing well and how he'll probably like block that, N- not necessarily block, but like it's just gonna be hard for Maxi to get min- minutes in the playoffs with someone like Hill who's very trusted coming in to kind of take those playoff minutes. And Corkmoss playing oh, yeah, and tremendously well lately. Yeah, so, he's been playing well. So, it, yeah, it's hard. Did you see, like, George Hill? I, I tweeted it. It was when the screenshot, he hit that first, like, pullback three. He dropped his left knee so close to the ground. Like, I, 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 like, I mean, I'm not trying to plug myself, but you check my timeline. Like, the dude, I don't know how you can physically do that as, like, a human being. It's almost like... I'm trying to think of a good analogy because I was thinking of some football players who have like, it might even be further, but you know, like prime Shady McCoy where he would do those little jukes where just his knees are getting so close to the ground as he bends them down that like defenders just like buckle because they can't stay. You're just so like the change of direction is so dynamic there. George Hill did that on a play on that cross and it was just unbelievable. And it, it is kind of weird. I mean, we talked about it like before. It's so weird how, the Sixers have all the, had all these like strange guards who are very limited in what they do, or they're really good at one thing, but really bad at another thing. And then George Hill is just like a very normal NBA player who's good. He is not bad at any one and one thing. He's not like particularly outlier great at any one thing. Maybe the one thing you say is he can really shoot, but even then, it's not like like George Hill's a good shooter. It's not like you change your whole scouting report to make sure George Hill doesn't shoot threes. So. It's just very weird to see a guy like, oh, yeah, he can get past this guy, get him on his shoulder, and hit a little floater. If the defense backs up too much, he'll hit a pull-up jumper pretty regularly. It's So, yeah, I, I've liked George Hill. I mean, he was getting in like some – it was starting to get tenuous um, in the Sixers fan base with how long he had been sitting out. Like, okay, when's going to happen? Because, you know, the whole history, like if the Sixers keep saying, oh, this guy's injured, but he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, it always feels like, why isn't he coming yet? Where is – why, why is he not on the roster yet? Why is he not playing games yet? And he's here now, and yet George Hill looks like he's going to be pretty good for the Sixers in the playoffs. Yeah, it was it was getting to the point where, remember when uh, Alec Burks and Robinson III came over from Golden State and people were like, is it, did they walk from California? Like, what's taking so long? It was, <laughs> it, it was getting to that point. Of, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think Glenn Robinson ever actually arrived. <laughs> yeah, he had some moments. I'm not going to say he, he. He was not good in Philadelphia. Like I think he's a fine NBA player overall, but for whatever reason, it did not work in Philly. Which was he was playing really well out in Golden State, and then what is it? He missed like his first 15 threes. Yeah. Once he came here, whereas Alec Burks was kind of like the one who had been like the throw-in, and then Alec come playoff time, Alec Burks was like the Sixers' second best offensive option. 
I don't think Burks was a throw-in in that deal. He was he was really like there were some games with the okay. Warriors where he were he was their main option and he was putting up like thirty some nights. Okay, so. but Bur- Burks like I think some people were a little more excited about Glenn Robinson because he thought oh he'll slot in as a three and D guy who can hit shots. Whereas Alec Burks has always been like. I mean, he had done those things before, but on very bad teams where he puts up points. Like, when he was with the Jazz, it was always – he was just very up and down, never really got it going. And then, again, come playoff time, Alec Burks was very much a part of the Sixers rotation. And, I mean, he Alec played fine in the playoffs for what – they're probably, again, asking too much of him for the player he is. I will say Alec still is he, – he was never looking to pass very much, but they kind of – I mean, we've already spent too much time talking about the 2026ers. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I forget how this tangent even started. Oh, it's because George Hill took a while to come. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, Hill's Hill's been good. Uh, I think that that move will continue to look uh, really smart by Daryl Morey. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we just have to get Ben back out there and get whatever defensive issues have kind of sprung up lately plugged and get back to those positive feelings we had a week ago because it's been a rough week in Sixers land. It definitely has, and the Sixers now down to 39-20, and 20, tied with the Nets for the best record in the East. The Bucks, I believe, only two games back now, I want to say, in the standings. They're right there. And in fourth are the New York Knicks, who have been are right now the hottest team in the league on an eight-game win streak. I really think it's important that the Sixers try and keep that one seed because as we've said most of the year, like I think I was, I think it was my, my friend, uh, Jesse, I'm going to butcher his last name, like Sinkini, I think for Grizzly Bear Blues, I did an article with them where they asked me some questions asking like, what is, what, what would be considered like a success for the Sixers this season versus a bust? Like, is it championship or bust for the Sixers? Is it finals or bust? And I said, it's really Eastern conference finals or bust. Because Sixers fans have been to the second round now with this this core, they know like they can make that first step where they get out of just the just barely a playoff team to a somewhat of a contender in that final eight. They really want to take that next step at least where you're in the final four. Like I, I don't think I know me and you personally like we won't be like if the Sixers lose to the Nets in six in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is still a successful season in some ways. Like obviously you want to win it all. But I don't think it's the, like the sky is falling if they happen to fall in that way. So I really think it is important that they keep that number one seed because I really don't want them to see the Bucks in the second round right now. Or even have – or who knows, maybe the Bucks with the Nets having Durant and Harden injured, maybe the Bucks pass them for the first seed. And then in that case, I don't want to see the Nets in the second round because the Nets, when healthy, are terrifying. And the Bucks, I mean, I know the Sixers have been injured now – now, Joel Embiid missing the first game, Ben Simmons missing the next game. Like, I, I'm not sure if the Sixers are a great matchup against the Bucks. Like, I just – they're very – the Bucks have so much length. They're able to – well, they obviously can't just stop Joel Embiid because no one can. They have enough length that they don't have to overcommit every time. And then just that length can bother guys. Like, I think he didn't even get to play that much and because the Sixers were out of that game from the start. It looked like Drew Holiday was going to really bother Seth Curry when he was on him just because, I mean, Drew's kind of too big for him. It's kind of a problem. And I would worry a little bit about that. So I think it is important for the Sixers to try and keep pushing down the stretch of regular season to get that number one seed. Absolutely. Uh, here's, here's the difference in the pass, depending on whether they finish first or second. They would have to go through Charlotte, 
and New York, the Knicks, or the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, to be I don't fair, know about the Heat would be only if they won the playing game. Like that, that could alternate. Just saying, like anything, the seven or eight is going to be like it's. We don't know for sure because the way the plan works. Right, but right now the Heat are the seven seed. So Which is scary. <laughs> you assume they would beat the ten seed in. Well, no, it works because the seven and the eight play, and then the nine. The way it works is seven plays eight and nine plays ten. Whoever wins seven eight gets the seven seed. Whoever wins nine ten gets to play the loser of the seven eight. Then the winner of that gets the eight seed. Okay, that, it, it's okay. confusing, but, but I, the I, seven I, seed would still statistically be most likely to get the seven seed. We would bet most likely the Heat could beat the Hornets in a one like one off playoff playing game. Gotcha. Okay, so. Playoff play play in shenanigans aside, yeah, it would it would likely be Miami and the Bucks if you, if you get the uh, the two seed versus a Hornets Knicks path, um, which I mean I I don't I don't know if but, you can any more clearly illustrate the value of the one seed than that. But to be fair, like I, I would much rather play the Knicks than the Bucks. A Sixers Knicks series will like break it'll every game will be 85 to 90 it'll go six games there will be multiple technical fouls every single night it will be very ugly and like oh i don't think it would go six games dude have you the the knicks are playing really well and also they gave the sixers some problems in each of their games because they play some good defense julius randall suddenly makes every shot he takes and they they are just really annoying so You'll feel like maybe not even six, but it'll feel like the Heat and Nets series that the Sixers won in five. That even though they won in five, it felt like they got punched in the face a few times. I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, it, for sure. It'll be an ugly, drag out physical series. And uh, but yeah, I I just think the Sixers are a much better team than the Knicks, and I I wouldn't be worried about a potential upset in that series as I would in a Milwaukee series where I don't even know if Milwaukee would be the underdog. They yeah, I, I'm, I, was thinking, I might pick Milwaukee in like six or seven right now. Right. Sixers. Exactly. So yeah, the one seed is very important and uh, hopefully, you know, Ben comes back quickly is healthy. They have everybody healthy and they could finish the, the end of the regular season here strong because uh, that's an important thing to achieve. Yeah, definitely. Um, any other thoughts from this losing streak? Like anything you've seen from the six Sixers that's just been bugging you? Actually, you know, maybe this is a good time. I think we're going to go into your fast five. Or it's time for the Sean fast five of things he has seen from the Sixers recently. Sean, take the floor. Or microphone, to so to say. Sure. Uh, so we mentioned him briefly, but yeah, Furkan Korkmaz has been playing very well lately, uh, showing some really good defensive flashes in addition to some really high scoring games lately. I just wanted to give credit to his his pump fake, which I, I believe it was NBC Sports's social team called it the, the pump firk, um, <laughs> which I thought was a great, well, great didn't, little... Didn't our Dave Early call it the firky fake like a year ago when he was saying that Furkan wasn't drawing any fouls on it? Then clearly Furkan must have read that post because he draws one like every game now. Yep. Yeah, he he seems to. Yeah, he he gets people to bite on it every time. So they either collide with him or he's kind of mastered the the pump fake and then take the side dribble and then 
yeah put put it up from there and i i i feel like 100% confident every time he does that the, the the pump fake side dribble and he puts it up i i feel like it's going in every time I, it just the the journey i've come i've <laughs> gone on as as a a sixers fan with with Korkmaz this year uh it's been it's been a strange one but i'm at a place where I, I'm really uh, liking what he's doing out on the, on the floor, and he's a free agent this summer. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I was what about to he say, gets. like the journey is the destination—a twelve million dollar contract—and <laughs> he goes back to shooting for. I, 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 I mean, I've, I've loved Furcon too. Um, one thing I was thinking about is that the best flat jumper in the NBA? Because man, Furcon's thing—it does not stay stay in the air for very long. It, he starts it way above his head. He's a tall dude, like six seven. And that thing is just – I think it's why the shot fake works so well. If you keep it – if he holds it that high above his head, it really looks like he's about to shoot. So it kind of gets people off. And then, like, he just never has to drop it or anything. Like, off the top of my head, I know Kawhi has always had a really flat jumper for the most part, but it's not, like, even that flat. Like, Kawhi still gets arc or will get arc from sometimes. Like, Furcon's thing is just a line drive through the hoop most of the time. It is. Um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting point about how his release point is so high. So maybe that's why the the mm-hmm. pump fake works. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I'm not, I don't I don't uh, I don't know who else would have a a consistently successful flat shot. Um, I know it, that it, I know that I've always had a very low release point, and I do not get a ton of people on pump fake. So that's my evidence now. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh yeah, Quirkmoss is playing really well. Loving the pump fake, the pump perk. Um, just good stuff there. Uh just kind of a silly one. I noticed uh the Sixers made the announcement on Twitter that uh Anthony Tolliver is wearing number forty three and our old oh, friend yeah. Jonah Bolden came out with the the quote tweet with the rised eyebrow emoji. Um <laughs> So it's it's good to see that Jonah's still keeping tab on his his old club. Uh, I know if it was up to Liberty Baller's own Kevin Rice, the number yes. forty three would be in the rafters, and hey, no one would be wearing it anymore. Yeah, Jonah um, had his moments. He like were they always great moments? No, but there there are, there are much more despised fi- figures in Sixers lore than Jonah by far. Jonah's generally well liked, and I mean uh, Tolliver hasn't really done much yet. I. Although he, people have always wanted Tolliver as just like another stretch shooter as a big, he's not nothing yet. And he does. Now Tolliver fits in. Whereas George Hill feels weird for the Sixers because he's normal. Anthony Tolliver is very weird, and he fits right in with like the Sixers' whole dynamic. Uh, uh, go a little further on that. Why? Why do you find him so weird? Have you seen him try to shoot? Like that. Man, I've seen him miss. I've seen him miss a lot. Have now, the way I, I'm like, just taking that as he's he's bad. Just look at the way he jumps <laughs> on his shot. Like, the two feet always plant. It's, like, always a jump into the shot when he catches it. He'll, like, be moving at weird angles. Oh, there was this – I'm remembering this just now. I think it was on 538 a year ago that someone wrote an article about – it might be that Tolliver, like, is one of the best charge takers in NBA history. Like, something along those lines. I'm, I'm actually going to – I'm going to – so you stall for me right now while I look this up because I think I definitely read something about this. Okay, we'll come back to that. Uh, I'll go to my next point, which was uh, Dwight Howard, his 
he always has a new shenanigan that always cracks me up. His his one tonight was him counting out loud to oh, try yeah, to get the ten second violation on Giannis at the free throw line. Um, the one time he counted to sixteen, and uh, yeah, I I just and uh, I, I know Dwight had some some off the court stuff, but everything about his uh, his personality with the team this year has just been delightful, and his his actual play has been a little up and down and frustrating at times, but it just he's been a, I've been really happy that he's been on the team this year. He's been a joy to just follow with uh, his, all his little quirks. And that was another one tonight that I, I really loved. Yeah, Dwight, like, I mean, the bar is so low in terms of backup centers throughout Joel Embiid's career that I feel like we do, just because Dwight is clearly functional and does some good things, it's very easy for us to latch onto him. And then he also, like you said, just he's such a great – it's so weird because Dwight had such bad vibes for so long, but after fixing it last year, now it's just like, oh, Dwight's really fun. He's just trying to get into it. He is really just enjoying being out there and playing basketball. And I actually did find the article right now, written in 2017 by Chris Herring, the NBA player who's so good at taking charges, we created a stat for him where they talked about, like, I think they use second spec. They use some tracking from NBA Minor, an advanced stats site, and it was like like number of collisions per game, and then like number of charges drawn those. And Anthony Toller had the highest rate in terms of like body to body collisions per game. He drew a charge on seventy eight percent of those. So, which is like basically the next highest was Kemba at seventy percent back when this article was written. No one else was like even close. So you know. <laughs> Maybe if he if Anthony Tolliver can get in there, like that's that's gonna be his thing. He takes threes where they look super weird as he jumps into them and, and takes them at really weird like angles of his feet. And then on defense, I mean, he can basically be like Ursan Ilyasova Silva ramped up a few notches. Okay. So I'll I'll keep an eye out for some uh charges taken and hopefully I'll I'll see some I'll see fewer uh, ugly missed jumpers but I don't think you're going to see fewer ugly missed jumpers yeah. <laughs> which probably means you won't see much defense from him either. Yeah, I, I got a feeling we're not going to see a whole lot of Anthony Tolliver going forward anyway. Mm-hmm. Um all right, uh my next point Joel the the one-legged jumpers the the Dirk kind of homage as it's the fact that he could just casually add something again to his game. Um, I first, it really made me take notice. It was a game about a week ago and he, he jumped off his right foot to do it. And he was wearing the knee. I think it was one of the first games he was wearing the knee brace. So I was like, Oh, is the knee brace bothering him to the extent that, you know, he did off the right foot. And then later in the same game, he took the same shot, but he did it off the left. So I'm like, oh, wow, he's just mastered it off either foot, which this is some it's – a, it's a really hard shot to take as it is. Like, there's a reason Dirk kind of – it's like a trademark shot um, because it's not something everyone can do. And Joel's out there doing it off either foot. Um, he said in one of the postgame things how he had really watched a lot of Dirk film and he credited that with why he's been having a lot of success at the elbows this season. Um, I, I just continue to marvel at this guy. Just, just he, he takes something from a past great and just kind of absorbs it into the game. And he's like, oh, I have this skill now. And he's he, and he can do it at the highest level. Uh, just 
I, I don't know what else to say about Joel Embiid that hasn't been said, but uh, it's I'm so glad he's on the team. It's just really incredible to watch him on a nightly basis. You know how there's like I've heard stories before about people who are so good at like understanding languages and like the basic grammar of how different languages work that they can like read a voc quickly skim through a vocab book of another language and it'll like pick it up super quickly. I wonder if Joel can do that like different things in his life. Should we just keep trying different <laughs> things from be like how long would it take him to just become like a master psychologist? I don't know. <laughs> just like how long would it take? Because it's you're like right, it's pretty clear. The dude just decides to get better at things and then he does. He was for years the Sixers struggled to shoot and shoot off the dribble, create those shots, and Embiid this year decided, okay, now I'm going to be the best player in the world at that, just like on a whim, which is really incredible. And what you were saying about that one-legged shot, like I mean, it's it's a really great shot. You've seen so many players incorporate it, like over the years from Kevin Durant to LeBron James. Um, I will say, I, I it's going to be my second high school basketball reference in the pod. I hit that uh, one of those like Dirk leg off my right foot, which I'm a right-handed shooter, so like wrong foot, during a summer league game over someone. And I got to tell you, when you make that shot, I'm walking down the court, I'm like, I'm the baddest man on the planet. And, like, <laughs> none of these guys can touch me. <laughs> like 5'11 kid hits a shot over another 5'11 kid. You know, yeah, that's... It feels great. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I can't say I've ever hit that shot in a game, so I, I, I'm sure it does. Um... Did you ever try? Did you ever go back to it? I don't think I ever tried the step because I would. You try so much more stuff in a summer game when there's like just less consequences and you're just trying to figure some stuff out. I was very much non-experimental experimental in games. I did, I believe, my sophomore year have. I did do like the little Dirk leg off my left foot where I just I had like a bigger guy on me. I like body bumped him and then just faded back and hit it. So that's probably the only one I remember off the top of my head. Wasn't like a trademark shot, but I I went to it just a few times. Gotcha. All right. So yeah, that's Joel is like a learning savant. Um, Definitely. That's a a good thing to uh, a good way to describe it. I Can we think. get that nickname on Basketball Reference? <laughs> <laughs> the savant. Yeah. Um, right right <laughs> got, next to the the process. If we get got to do a one eighty, like that's what it has to be. One of us has to get on Jeopardy. We have to specifically find a way to get that question. Like, you know, slip. Isn't it? Isn't Joe Buck going to be like their new host? Yeah. Um, which I've, I've been watching. I was watching the Aaron Rodgers weeks. <laughs> he, and then Rodgers was doing a really good job. I like well, Aaron Rodgers is an interesting guy. Yeah. I, I mean, Shalane Woodley certainly thinks so. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your fifth thing? <laughs> All right. So my, my fifth one. Um, a little more statistically based, but of of the qualifying leaders, so the people that qualify for you know the leaderboards on the statistics, um, there are only six players who average at least one steal and one block per game. Uh, Matisse is averaging the fewest points in the league of those players. He only averages slightly under four points per game. Oh yeah. Uh, but the really interesting part is. The bottom three, so the three players that average fewer than 10 points a game, who also average at least one steal in a block, Robert Covington, Nerlens Noel, Matisse Thibel. Oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> did you tweet that out? You've got to tweet that. I did. That is, that is fantastic. I mean, <laughs> the Sixers I, process has a type. <laughs> I their only skill is creating like 
they're the best events creators on defense like yeah. in the NBA, but that's that's about it. I mean, I don't know if you've seen recently because the Knicks on their win streak, Nerlens in like back-to-back games had gigantic blocks. Like Nerlens is, I, I mean, I'm happy for Nerlens. He's been playing really well. Yeah, he definitely has. Um, getting to see a lot more minutes now that Mitchell Robinson's been out. Um, and they just signed Norvell Pell to a contract. Yeah, it's where all process Sixers centers go to uh, spread their wings, perhaps. So, yeah, I'm happy for Nerlens that uh, he's kind of found a, a role where he can be successful there in New York. But, yeah, uh, so Sixers process targets are defensive havoc makers who don't really want to be high usage offensive but players, I guess. Don't want to, I mean, Rocco is probably the only one who wanted to do anything on offense out of those guys. Like, I mean, I guess Nerlens early on wanted to do stuff on offense, but it's pretty clear he couldn't besides rim running. Yeah. So it's like, weird. He doesn't, he doesn't even do that really anymore. He like takes two shots a game with no, the I Knicks. Mean, it's kind of weird. I mean, hey, you got to find your role. Like some guys like Matisse come into the NBA and they're clear. like Matisse has clearly understood for a long time. My like 99.9% of my value is all on the defensive end of the floor. I'm just going to try and not screw up the offense and that'll be enough because I'm that good of a defender. Nerlens probably didn't know that early on and he's probably figured it out as you do when you have to go through multiple contracts in the NBA to multiple different teams. <laughs> when but, your a- your agent stupidly advises you not to accept oh, a big yeah, offer but, from the Mavericks and it, it ruins your financial setup for life. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> it's a good thing he's bounced back though to have a pretty good career. Oh, and um, and Robert, I mean, Robert Covington's developmental path going to the G League Rockets team after being undrafted. I mean, I don't even know if we can compare Rocco to anything where it's all started because he played for the Rockets G League team where they told him to shoot as many threes as possible. Like, just a Rocco had a wild time. Yeah, that, the, the Rio Grande Vipers, right? Yeah, I believe that was it. Uh, well, that concludes Sean's Fast Five with approximately one more Shaleen Woodley reference than I was expecting. <laughs> we'll see if we can top that next week all right yeah i think that that'll be the uh the ceiling i don't think there's going to be a that's just gonna remember be the ceiling is the roof so the, and the roof is whatever you make it to be so it, honestly it's up to you man all right was that a yeah i'm surprised you didn't say that in the last dance <laughs> all right now we're going to move on to danny's corner the segment that i still don't know why i agreed to the name and still is not about Danny Green yet, but will not be about Joel Embiid after being about him the first two weeks. This week we're talking about Shake Milton, someone I've written a lot about, someone I've talked about a lot on this pod. Um, Sean, how many points per game do you think Shake was averaging from December 23rd to January 20th? Mm, 15. He was averaging 16.8. And then... We're going to cut right after that. The next stretch, January 22nd to February 27th. How many points per game do you think he was averaging then? Eight. 10.5. Then March 1st to April 4th, how many points per game do you think he was averaging? We only got two more of these. but I'm going to go back to 14. He averaged 15.1 points per game during that stretch. And then April 6th to April 21st, so not including tonight because I – didn't do the math for that yet because Shake, Shake actually one of the guys who played pretty well tonight with 20 points and hitting three threes. But so before, so the Suns game all the way back to April 6th, how many points do you think he was averaging during that period? 
So I I did look at his game log uh, for after the tonight's game, and I know that April first was the only time before tonight that he had a twenty point game. So I know it's I know it's not a lot. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say eight points per game. Eight point nine, right about there. Okay. And my point with this is that a lot of people have been down on Shake lately, and I was thinking to myself, huh. That, that definitely happened earlier in the season, too. But there were also these periods where everyone was loving Shake. And he said this weird thing where basically almost month by month, you know, not exactly, but like rough, these roughly month-long periods through four months of an NBA season, he's gone up, then down, then up, then down. He, I just laid out the points for game averages. If you go through true shooting percentage marks, he went from about 62% those first 12 games, then 47 true shooting percentages next next 14 back up to 57 percent true shooting the next 16 which is not like great but it's acceptable it's fine then back into 48 true shooting percentage in the last few last set of games i know that shake has been struggling and as we've seen like the shot can come and go so far this season uh let me pull it up here real quick i believe his three point percentages with this will load the three-point percentage is down to 34.5% after four, being 43% a year ago, which is obviously not what we wanted. But I just feel like for a guy who is asked to do the hardest things on the court when he's out there, because Doc Rivers does not believe in staggering lineups, <laughs> he is asked to create shots off the dribble, the hardest thing to do in basketball, especially at this high of a level where players are really, really good. And Shake is not a guy who just can burst by people. Like that's kind of the appeal of Maxi. That sometimes Maxi just gets an easy layup because he's too fast for everyone. Shake is not a bursty guy. He is not that quick. His all his his advantages lie in the fact that he's tall. He has decent shooting touch. He can handle it well enough that he just doesn't lose it. And he's got some really long arms. And he finds crafty ways to get to the rim and lays it up around people. And with a game like that, where he's asked to do so much to run so much of the offense. There are going to be these up and down, up and down lulls. And I, I think that's okay. Like, I don't think I'm worried about Shake at all right now. And the, I mean, obviously it's good timing considering he had a good game tonight. But I mean, I just, I still believe in that dude. I think if you're tall, if you're as tall as he is and can do what he does with the ball in his hands and like, really at that point, the only thing I could stop you, I think is if you really didn't care about stuff and, I'm kind of okay. Like, Shake shows a lot of emotion on the court in terms – it's almost never positive emotion. It always seems like the constant joke is Shake is very upset, very – he's mad at something in the world, whatever it is. But he always has that look on his face. But Famously, I, he was once mad at Joel Embiid. Uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, families at Thanksgiving, like, they get mad <laughs> at each other. It's, it just happens, Sean. But, exactly. Uh, no, Shake, Shake really does care. He's working hard. And I think just with what they ask him to do – you have to understand that there's going to be these up and down things. Like, who's to say Shake won't go back to scoring around 15 points per game on above average efficiency the next month? Like, people forget that. I remember the first month of the season, there was some Shake Milton six man of the year talk because he was playing that well. This is a third year player they took with the 55th pick in the draft. That is incredible. They got that much value from it. And I'm not trying to say because Shake was such a like an incredible steal from like asset accumulation that then we can't criticize because everything here is a bonus for the game. Like, no, Shake is a real NBA player, so you want to see him get better. You can assess, like, things he can get better at. 
he can probably serve to be a little better, a bit better of a passer and a distributor. Obviously, it would help if he was playing with better players instead of the Sixers bench lineup the whole time. But still, he could get better at those things. Defensively, he's improved, but he's still not a lockdown defender in any way. I mean, there's – like we said, the three-point shot, a thing that's been pointed out is he doesn't seem like he's the physically strongest guy and that he's much better at those corner threes or especially very close to the three-point line threes. He's not going to be able to shoot from really that far deep out. Really, the only game we've seen from that is his out-of-body experience against the Clippers in the 2020 season, the 39-point game. So – I would just say to all Sixers fans, be patient with Shake. Like, do not worry about him. I think he's fine right now. He's just going through another cold stretch. He's a young guy who was asked to do a ton. And a lot of his, like, a lot of his value is going to be determined by how often he can get to the foul line and finish there at the rim. And then how often, how many of those open threes is he going to make? And those things will fluctuate with a guy like him. And that is okay. Yeah, you're right not to worry about him. I, I was never worried about him from a career trajectory standpoint. I, I still recognize that he's vastly outperforming what a reasonable expectation would have been given his draft slot and still very young and, you know, he's he's going to have down periods. Um, I, I was a little worried from a the Sixers – it's there was a period there where it seemed like they really needed him to be consistent on a night to night basis in the postseason. I'm I'm less worried about that now because they brought in George Hill. Corkmoss has been a much more consistently effective presence with he the second handle, unit. He can handle the ball a little bit. Like Furkan like is not out of place just dribbling. It'll look weird because He's not the the quickest NBA player, and it like his behind the backs. You know, one of the things I think you can really tell with ball handler is the elite guys will do those like crazy behind the back like stop and starts, and they don't even have to look at the ball; they just know that they have it under control. Furkan very much when he's like trying to make those moves, he's putting his head down to make sure he sees where the basketball is. But you know, he doesn't like just lose the ball. It's it's not a Danny Green situation where Danny starts dribbling like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's happening. <laughs> You and your Danny Green stuff. Man. I love I love Danny. I, love, I think Danny is a very good player. He's been playing great since the All Star break, and it's incredible that he does what he does, despite the fact that he cannot dribble that much better than the average person. I just think you you're more fascinated by Danny Green than He's I think anybody anybody weird. else is about any player. Did you see a spin movie tried tonight where he he like tried to slow spin move it and just almost his knees like buckled and he almost fell down. I he saw just, you tweet about it. I, I I didn't really think much of it in the moment. <laughs> how often is an NBA player tries to spin him and he like literally just falls down because he can't do it? Or was he tried to pressure Chris Paul in the backcourt the other night and he just like <laughs> fell over? And yeah. unfortunately, I pulled up the Sixer Suns box score like just to check on NBA.com. The headline picture is Chris Paul dribbling as Danny Green touches the earth. As he's yeah. just laying there, flat. Like, you had to. Why is that the picture? <laughs> well, I think that's an accurate illustration based on what you're saying. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, getting back to Shake. Yeah, what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was never worried about Shake the player. I was worried about the Sixers vis-a-vis. -vis, can they count on Shake? I guess would be a way for me to explain it. And I'm not anymore because I think they have some other options and 
Doc Rivers has shown a willingness to, on a night-to-night basis, kind of, sh- not to use the pun, but to shake things up with his kind of Ooh. rotation. Yeah. I, I, I was about to say it, and then I realized that it might Get sound off. like I was trying to make a dumb, <laughs> dumb pun. Um, but yeah, he's shown a willingness to kind of uh, do different things based on who's hot, who's playing well on a particular night. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried because if Shake isn't playing well, he just won't play like in the fourth quarter of a postseason game and they have other guys who can step in. So yeah, don't just don't sweat it too much with Shake. He's still a young guy and anything he does at this point is uh it's 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 better than you could have anticipated, even coming into this year where yeah, he had the great game against the Clippers and he had like a couple good weeks last year, but he's he's stepped up beyond what people could have reasonably hoped for him coming into the season. And don't worry, if he actually does start performing to a level that's so bad that he can't play, Joel Embiid will in fact slap him. So we'll know it. When that happens, we'll know. <laughs> exactly. That's when the family steps in. Yes. So we're going to hit some questions here. Me and Sean each have three questions about the Sixers prepared for each other, as well as one question that is not about anything basketball related. My first question was going to be about Tyrese Maxey in the playoff rotation, but because we already touched on that, I came with a backup question. Do you think that, okay, so this is going to be Sixers tangentially related because it's not about them, but it, I mean, it was evident in the game tonight. Do you think Coach Mike Budenholzer, does he think that wins only count if they're by 15 or more? Because he kept the starters in for so long, and that game was over. Like, I know the Sixers bench kind of closed the point differential as they do. The Sixers had, by the, like, by the midpoint of the third quarter, you knew the Sixers had lost that game. Yeah, my, my read on that, and, and you're right that, you know, if a guy gets injured in that situation, it's going to look really bad and everyone will, mm-hmm. you know, rip the coach and, you know, they'd be justified in doing it. But my read on it was that they were trying to get PJ Tucker some like real reps with what they might view as a potential closing five. Like they brought Tucker in fairly recently and a couple of their guys have been injured or out of the lineup lately and they just, you know, there's not a lot of time left in the regular season. There's only a, a couple weeks left, really, uh, a few weeks, three maybe. So they, if you want these guys to be comfortable playing together and really know the nuances of what guys are doing out on the court when they're they're playing alongside one another, they need actual game repetition. And uh, I think that was just, hey, I can kind of squeeze a few minutes of that in – you know, against a good team, but not like high intensity. So we can kind of work through some things. Um, that that was kind of what I figured he was doing. Maybe I'm giving him a little too much credit and it was just a dumb thing he shouldn't have done, but I didn't really, that was kind of my, my thinking. So I didn't really feel like it was the dumbest thing on Bud's part. All right, Sean, hit me with your first question. Okay, so you said basketball questions, so yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know they were all Sixers. It, it doesn't matter. The rules. I, <laughs> these, these rules you've constructed that I've already gone outside of. Um, so 
I, I, I made the rules, but I do not know what they are. Yes. So I wanted to know what your favorite non-Sixers team to watch has been this season. Hmm. That's a good one. I really like the Grizzlies, man. The Grizzlies are fun. Draft, draft Twitter's darlings. Yes. But the thing is, I still don't, I don't know if I see enough of them to say it for sure. Cause I, I mean, I love so many of the guys on their team. Xavier Tillman's a defensive genius and always has been. Desmond Bain makes every three he takes practically. Kyle Anderson is actually one of my favorite players to watch in the entire league. Just, just forever confusing defenders. Cause he's so slow uh, on the low post. Zach Lowe and David Thorpe were talking about like him as a most improved player candidate. And Zach Lowe described him as someone who's so bad at the card game hearts but because he's so bad, it just throws everyone off and he keeps winning because they don't know how to play against someone else who's doing something that poorly. Like, he's moving so slow, it just throws everyone off. So that would definitely be up there, the Grizzlies. Um, although I also say, I know some Sixers fans are very anti-Denver Nuggets because of the Embiid-Jokic MVP race, which I'll just say again, I love Embiid. He should probably finish second in the race. I still think I'd pretty much vote for Jokic as the MVP for – all the reasons that have been spewed all over everyone's timelines. Um, I, the Nuggets are, especially before Jamal Murray got injured, which is devastating injury, very sad to see. The Nuggets were just incredible to watch. All the cutting. Jokic makes so many just mind-bogglingly great decisions every night. And he's so unstoppable on the offensive end of the floor. Then also a very good defender in the sense that his hands are so great. He is still very tall and strong. And I just – and, like, then they have other guys, too, like Michael Porter Jr., who will just hit, like, these random in-your-face threes. Like, we saw the Sixers-Nuggets game where Danny Green was closing out on him, but it didn't really matter how close he got to him. He's going to make him anyways. The Nuggets have always been very fun to watch in that sense. All right. Yeah, I uh, I unfortunately don't get to watch a lot of those West Coast teams because yeah. I am old. So <laughs> the, the, the start times are a little tough for me. All right. Uh <laughs> How shocked were you that Mike Scott had back-to-back games where he seemed like he was – he had the mid-range pull-up game against the Suns and the corner threes, like, I mean, semi-corner threes falling against the Bucks tonight. Like, I still think Mike Scott – like, I might be the only one who thinks Mike Scott might not be totally useless. I, I think he's I, – I still think that if you can shoot and hit at some of those threes, you have some value out there. Yeah, I don't – it's – I I still yeah I think we're going to see some Mike Scott postseason minutes. Oh, we'll because, definitely see him because Doc Rivers loves him. Yeah, Doc loves him, and Anthony Tolliver has not proved himself to be an asset in his what is it twelve days now. It's on the amazing. Team. We have topped every over under bet for Shalene Woodley and Anthony Tolliver talk on a podcast ever. Well, I mean, Tolliver's on the roster, so <laughs> you 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 might have at least had him on the and board. He's, he's barely been played. We, we said he's barely played, and he's been bad so far. Well, it's you, you got to talk about those guys. <laughs> we can't always be. Can't be all Joel Embiid is really good talk. Um, that that gets uh that doesn't get you through sixty minutes on a weekly basis. Um, but have we tried, have we tried it? <laughs> we we we'll just bring in different guests every week to talk about how good Joel Embiid is. So like we'll, we'll pretend we're interviewing them about themselves, but then every question is just about Joel Embiid. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah, that was an interesting uh, story about your childhood. So what do you think about Joel Embiid's performance this season? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give that a go next week. Um, but yeah, Scott is, I guess he is what he is. I, the defense has been fine for the most part. You know, it wasn't against Milwaukee he's, tonight he's because no one. He, he's tall and he tries. Yeah. He, and he definitely, he generally knows where to be and he, can do the defensive communication stuff that you need to do as a kind of backline guy. And as long as he hits a reasonable percentage of his shots, then I don't really have a problem with him being out there. It's those games where uh, it was a few games ago, he was like two for nine or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, all right, Mike, if you're not going to hit the shots, you're, you're not helping in any other way. So why are you out there? Uh, And that's not totally fair because shooters even if they're not a even if they are like a 40 percent shooter they're still going to have games mm. yeah like under 40 percent st- because that's how averages work <laughs> so yeah it's 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 like I, he, he is what he is i mean hopefully he doesn't have to play more than like eight to ten minutes in an important game and we don't have to worry about it too much uh but yeah it's good to see him he's had a couple good games this week uh everybody likes him so i'm i'm happy when he has a good game because i I want to root for him everyone on the team likes him i'm not so sure about the entire fan base (laughs) yes i mean the hive loves him and yeah people have definitely turned this year because his his washed to good performance ratios has started to skew towards the negative end but uh yeah i I was glad to see mike have a couple good games this week all right your second question for me sean all right, so I was going to ask you about a successful Sixer season, but you kind of touched on that mm-hmm. in your prior interview. So I'll ask you this. Of these six teams that the Sixers could potentially play in round one, what rank them from you want, you'd be happy to see the Sixers play them to you'd fear them? Mm-hmm. And they are the Heat, the Hornets, the Pacers, the Wizards, the Raptors, the Bulls. So is uh, um, like we'll say one is like I don't want to see them. Yeah, whatever you want to do. So we'll go like one as like most difficult teams to play, meaning I don't want to see them. Um, heat number one. We'll say number two. I'll go with the Raptors. I still don't want anything to do with the Raptors, man. Um, Three, the Pacers. Four, four, uh, hmm. Hmm. Four Wizards, five Hornets, six Bulls. Because the Bulls are a mess right now with Levine's sideline protocols. And I've seen something about someone tweeted about how Maybe we should give more credit to how, like, Steve Clifford as a coach was able to construct a good defense around Nikola Vucevic in Orlando because their defense is kind of bad right now. And also, on top of that, like, I don't know if you've seen, like, the Laurie Markin and Kobe White things in, happening in Chicago are not good things. Good things are not happening. Then you have, like, the Hornets, like, love the Hornets, everyone's favorite team. I don't think they give the six much of a challenge. The Wizards are not that great either, but they've been pl- really playing really well lately, won six in a row, and Bradley Beal is just terrifying. As much as I've always been like a not a Westbrook guy, 
he is still talented and can go off at certain times. Then the Pacers just, if they get fully healthy, like, I mean, TJ Warren alone makes them third, just because always going to remember that performance in the bubble. Then the Raptors, because they always get the Sixers trouble with all their doubling, tripling of Joel Embiid, Fred Van Fleet's magnet hands ripping the ball away. And then the Heat, because, I mean, they're the defending Eastern Conference champions, and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo play on that team last time I checked. It's – is TJ Warren – I thought he was out for the year. Is, is oh, so I thought, like I said, he might be able to come back really late. But, yeah, he, he might – I would still keep the Pacers at three because I still think they're talented enough that they give – they can still – because you look up and down their roster, the Pacers have very much been a team this year where it feels like what they've concocted is like – but what is it? it adds up to less than the sum of their parts because they do have a lot of some like really talented guys in the team. Although I guess maybe with Miles Turner out now, because I know Embiid's always dominated Miles, but he's still a really great defender. Wizards and Pacers can basically be interchangeable. Like if I if say if I tiered them like Heat Raptors, I don't want to see Pacers Wizards. I wouldn't wouldn't they wouldn't be my like best outcome, but I'm okay with it. Hornets, Bulls, I think the Sixers handled them easily. All right. And then final question for you, Sean. Would the alternate universe lineup of Mikhail Bridges, Matisse Thibel, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and one of Danny Green or Tobias be the greatest defensive lineup ever? Yes, it would. And Mikhail, Matisse, and Simmons. Oh, just think about it. So the arms I don't want to because it'll just make me sad. The arms are so long. Like, if you just had told Mikhail, Matisse, and Simmons to, like, hold hands, they could probably cover the whole length of the court, at least, like, horizontally. They are... So, yeah, you're talking the lineups that the Sixers can throw out there now, but with bridges in place of, like, Seth Curry. Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, would they have I don't to... Want, I don't want to think about this anymore. They've had to even give an upset. And, like, the thing is, they would still have Seth on the roster because – I know Kevin Kevin will get mad at us for this too, Kevin Rice. Um, but like, I mean, because it was basically the pick and for Zaire Smith. And I guess you could say the pick eventually netted Toby, but then maybe the Sixers just give up a different pick for that. Like, it's it's all a lot of changing parts. You know, it's a very big chain reaction kind of thing, but just knowing that there probably is a universe that exists or an outcome that exists from Mikhail, Matisse, and Simmons defending a perimeter, like, you would just never score on those three dudes. That would be impossible. We have to move on because okay, okay. I, I, I've, I've managed to get over Bridges not being a sixer, and I, it, it's mostly just by not thinking about it. So I don't think I can think about it anymore. All right, all right. Ask me your third basketball question. Um, so you being a big uh, college guy and actually knowing stuff about the draft. I wouldn't you... say like the biggest, but I, I've, I've definitely – I, I like the draft. We'll just put it like that. Do you have a dream draft target for a team? Let's call them the Fivers, who might have a pick Why in the late you first round. You can just say the Sixers target. It's hypothetical. Um, so I'm really starting to get into my scouting now. Um, I've actually been going over a Duke's Matthew Hurt a lot this week. Who, if you just wanted a quick touch on him. Dude can really shoot, as Jay Kyle, man of the ringer, once said, he's got the Larry Bird three-motion shot, like, really behind his head, which is kind of cool to see it. Um, can't defend anyone at all, basically, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's about it. And uh, 
I, I mean, I wrote about Isaiah Livers from Michigan that way back like a month ago, maybe two months ago now, as a forward who can shoot off a movement, older guy. Um, you know, there were a lot of guys. I know, like, again, mentioning TKR once again, he's really one of Davion Mitchell, but he's not going to fall as – even though we probably shouldn't go as high as he's going to, he will not fall because he was awesome during the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I've heard of him, so he's really he's there really have been good. Other guys, I did the video on Joel Iai, who was a like he was Gonzaga's fourth best player, and he's going to be like a top forty pick. He's very good, so he got better this year. He's very much a he is what everyone calls like a scalable player, in that he is probably just going to then be at the next level, someone's fourth or maybe like seven, a, a very a guy you can slot in as the fourth guy in any lineup, and he'll work. Because he does all those things. Like, he's a really great rebounder for a guard. He makes smart passes. He's an awesome baseline cutter. He makes open threes. He plays really hard on defense with long arms. He's, like, stuff like that. So, he would be another guy you could add. Sounds like a Josh Hart type. He, I mean, I, the thing is they move differently. I, def, I don't think, like, stylistically the way they play on the court is the same. But, like, I definitely get what you're saying, especially with the rebounding. Like, they serve similar roles in that. Josh Hart's value is that if Josh Hart is your fourth guy out there on the court, you're probably in good hands. Um, it's so weird, like, the Sixers trying to think what they should want because it's always been who's that smaller guard creator, and it's all those years of wanting that. And they get shaken the 55th pick to be, like, a taller guard like that. And then they get Tyrese Maxey, who we still think is probably going to be pretty good. So kind of is what do they want now? I think you can never have enough wings who could potentially shoot. There are some other guys, like, one guy who I don't know if he's going to stay in the draft. I know – some people are smarter than me and are very into the draft or big fans of Benedict Mouthrin from Arizona as a, another, a wing who can really shoot. Just that would be something I would think I would target from the Sixers. Just with a lot of pieces filled in terms of some guards and obviously at center of Joel Embiid and considering you can probably get serviceable centers who like is on the market, like you did like Dwight Howard to be a backup those kind of three and D wings, like you can never have enough of them. Just stockpiling on guys like that is what I would recommend. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Now we're just going to rapid fire non-basketball questions. I mean, we've already gotten to more non-basketball stuff than usual this pod, but here's one for you, Sean. What is a better movie franchise? The Marvel Cinematic Universe or Star Wars? MCU. Thank you. Okay. We, like we do not have to cancel it. It's so much better, right? Yeah, we, uh, my wife and I actually just did a rewatch, um, oh, and and okay. and we went we went in the uh, the chronological order instead oh, of the so the, re- the release order. So uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, and the fact that they can tell individual stories but interweave the overall narrative is really impressive. It's incredibly funny and great action mm-hmm. star wars the originals were obviously great but the prequel trilogy was kind i have of a, a joke i and have then... a friend who's very into movies who shall not be named but he happens to attend the same school as me who says that the prequels are all great movies and he defends them and i disagree i also don't think the last three movies like i mean i thought that not i thought the last star wars movie the ninth one was pretty bad honestly <laughs> yeah i mean seven was pretty much a it was like it was, it was like, it was like a, a remake of the original 
they just yeah, it, it was like sure it's fine but like you didn't do anything groundbreaking i am yeah. totally with you marvel marvel's marvel cinematic universe is really great love everything about it i'm quickly just a favorite movie in the mcu like if you had to pick one uh ragnarok always cracks me up i, I always enjoy that fantastic it's um, a great war it's a great watch i think it's in my top five i actually think infinity war might be my favorite but i would have to if i like if i said that the top three off my head it would be infinity war ragnarok and civil war so i'd have to like split between those three somehow uh sean your non-basketball question for me uh best or favorite concert you've been to oh man you shouldn't have asked me this one. Um, I've never been to a concert. <laughs> what? <laughs> I do not have that much of a social life, man. I don't know what. You, you, I've never, all right, well. I've never been that into music. So, okay. The only music, like, I've listened to, because I actually start finally do now when I work out. Even I was very weird that as a 15-year-old in high school, I would work out in silence. And then when I was 16, I would listen to podcasts while I worked out. So I did not. Have I was not, and I never listened to music in my free time. I was never really that kind of person. So, like the music I'll listen to now, I've always described it as I have a very weird taste, and like it range, like the range is so wide. It's such a great variance between the different kinds of music I'll listen to. In terms of, I was sprinting, like or not sprinting. I was just running, like going for a run, and I transitioned once from Jesse's Girl to X Gone Give It To You mid run which is very different tones of both of those songs if you if you've heard either of them i love both those songs which is just my long way of saying i do not understand music at all i am not like gonna plug the other site the site i currently run right now inside and you we some of my staffers wanted to do a roundtable reviewing taylor swift's new album my contribution was again that same joke about music as well as a meme that was my contribution. I do not understand music, and I have never been to a concert. All right. Um, I don't think this is off her new one, but because she's been releasing albums so often, but the the recent song with Boney Bear of hers, I absolutely love. Uh, but you could, that, you could tell me that was like an Italian player, like an <laughs> player. I would have believed you. Like I have no idea who that is. Boney Bear is an Icelandic band. That is. Yeah. That's too quite, far off. <laughs> quite popular. Um, all right. Well, I don't. I don't know how the pandemic has affected this kind of thing, but in my experiences, you can see a lot of concerts for either free or very affordable as a college person. So Dude, I, I would. I would encourage you to when that you're, is you're, available, you're, do that. You're assuming I'm a normal person. You named that <laughs> Icelandic. Band. I've never heard of that, but I know the one of the greatest Icelandic basketball players ever, Thorir Thorbjörnsson for Nebraska, who was terrible this last year. But he's one of the greatest players in the history of Iceland, which not noted. Iceland, probably better known for their concerts and their music than their basketball players. All right. Well, yeah, you're too busy grinding tape, I guess, on, <laughs> on third-tier college prospects to uh... – get into it but yeah there's there's going to be some i don't i don't know whenever this pandemic craziness is over there will be some free concerts at your college and you should check them out well that's That'd incredible be, that... it's a what a way to end the pod <laughs> <laughs> very that I've, we're gonna have to do this again because that was probably our best ending yet uh, thank you all for listening please you know do all those things subscribe the feed rate review all that good stuff and yeah we will talk to you next week all right, take care, everyone.